0: Okay, well let's, as we open in prayer today, uh, let's all pray aloud together this collect, a collective prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that's been chosen for today. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that we may know and understand what things we ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And then I'll lead us in this rendition of the Lord's Prayer uh, from the Anglican Church in New Zealand. Eternal Spirit, earthmaker, pain-bearer, life-giver, source of all that is and that shall be, Father and Mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. By way of... Outline and and to review what what we've covered thus far in this class on on Job, and especially what we've covered in the text itself. Uh, You you recall that the first two chapters uh, open up the book with a prose narrative giving us the, the initial setting, that courtroom scene in heaven or in the heavenly realm where God agrees to allow the Satan, the deceiver, to attack Job. Uh, and then you may recall, toward the end of that, uh, three of Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, so come and lament with him. Uh, and they actually spend seven days with him in silence. Before then, chapter 3, Job opens up and gives his own, seems like a soliloquy, a, a, a lament. Uh, And then we get into these three different cycles, three different rounds of uh, dialogue between Job's three friends and Job. So the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, each provide what they think is going on in Job's life, provide a dialogue. And then Job responds to it. Uh, I took us through that first round three weeks ago. Uh, Page... Uh, took us through part of the second one and then Becky through the remainder of the second one and through the third one last week. So at this point having gone through that, uh, what what lessons have you learned from, from Job at this point? As a matter of fact, why don't I, I split the question up into two questions. Uh, if this is the first time that you've gone through Job uh, and studied it you know, I can't say that we're going really, really deep, but to some level of of uh, deepness, depth. Um, if this is the first time that you've done that, uh, what did you assume about the book that you're discovering is, is incorrect?
1: This wasn't my first time, but my first time when I highlight things that are really important that I want to be able to go back to, I find that that I have highlighted um, Eliphaz and Bildad and <laughs> when that they're saying too, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that it's yeah. not just all Job, and, and it's not even mainly Job. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. And any particular reason why you were how, that you can think of? It resonates that with me. I, okay. I wish I
1: could say that. You yeah. know? It, it's, it seems um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, To me, thats I've said it a couple of times in here already, but it's it's one of the things that is coming out to me in this particular time of my going through the book is that the author, the poet, is allowing these characters to speak for us, to be our voice, sometimes for things that we don't want to say, but maybe in the midst of suffering we really do feel. I remember the first time I looked at it, it kind of shocked me that God would go along with mm. Satan on this. Mm. And, yes. And it almost yes, seems absolutely. like
2: there's a pride thing going on God's part that he
0: says, well, go ahead and he's, he's a good guy, go ahead
2: and do what right. you want. Right. You know, right. Yeah. It raises, do you think you
0: should do that? it raises a lot of questions, Yes. 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 Absolutely. Well, the second part of my question was really uh, if you have studied it before, what new things are coming out uh, this particular time? So, anyone else? Okay, so here to now, the text has told us who was speaking in each of these cases. It's that Eliphaz said, Job responds. Bildad says, Job responds. But when we get to the chapter we want to begin with today, 28th, there's a little bit of scholarly controversy over who is actually speaking here. We're not as positive who it is that's speaking, and the commentators don't agree on this. You may have noticed in your modern English translations, they they try to help us uh, structure the book by providing section headers, and it will typically say who is speaking. And that hasn't been hard thus far, again, because the text itself says that. Um, but I surveyed several of uh, popular modern translations, and you will see some of this same confusion even in our modern translations. Um, the New Century doesn't have a section header. There's nothing at the beginning of chapter 28. So it's almost implying by not having anything that maybe chapter 28 is a continuation of Job's response to Bildad that was in chapters 26 and 27. Oh, yeah, I've got it there. That was in chapters 26 and 27, yeah. The New English, the New King James, the New American Standard, the New Living, and the English Standard, they all attribute it to Job Again, I think that's because the text doesn't indicate a change of speaker. Um, but you can tell by their title, they're sort of saying, well, maybe it's no longer a response to Bildad, but it's another soliloquy by, by Job that's just on wisdom, that's talking about wisdom, because he hasn't really been talking about wisdom uh, previous to this. So maybe, maybe it's still Job, but it's him talking about searching for wisdom, a discourse on wisdom. Where is wisdom? But then the remainder of the ones that I surveyed don't seem quite as sure. And this includes the New Revised and the New International who both say this is an interlude, where wisdom is found. The Christian standards calls it a hymn to wisdom. And the message, where does wisdom come from? So perhaps it's an interlude, not necessarily by job but perhaps by the author of the book the poet too so maybe this is no one speaking but it's this the poet giving his own uh, discourse or his own writings on, on what is song what is wisdom um, and there may be a fourth option that we'll hopefully get to at, at the end of class this morning but it won't make sense for me to bring it up at this point the new revised
1: version doesn't say that it's a joke but the quotes indicate that it is because there's no end quote in, in 27 yes but the beginning quote ended. and and Seven, that's so okay all right that that's
0: that's good and again the, the quotes aren't in the in, in the, the text, text right. but the text again doesn't say that there's a change of speaker so any any anyone else on what your your thoughts or opinion on these three options <laughs> is it job's continuation or job giving us a new poem on wisdom, or perhaps the author itself. Any arguments stand out to you more than another? What is worth 29, also chapter 29 says, do continue? Yes, it does, it does. So is that a continuation from 27 or <laughs> a continuation? We, we don't know exactly. Yes. But that's that's an important point. Okay. All right. Well let's let's look at chapter 28 then. And since it is a little bit different, uh, let's read the entirety of this chapter. Could I get a volunteer to read 28 for me?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lynn?
3: Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold to your kind. Iron is taken out of here and how close smelled it from from ore. Miners put on an end to darkness and search out for harvest to find and ore is known and darkness deep. They, op- they open shafts in the valley ways from the human habitations. They are forgotten by travelers. They sway suspended and low people. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it, it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the Base of sapphires and its dust contain gold. That path no bird of prey and the falcon's eyes are not seen there. The proud wild animals have not trodden yet. the lion has not passed over it. They put their hands to the flinty rock and overturn mountains by the roots. They cut out channels in the rocks, and their eyes see every precious thing. The sources of the rivers grown they grow, hidden things <coughs> they bring to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Mortals do not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of living. The deep say, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, and silver cannot be weighed out as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of the car, in precious stones com- or sapphire. <coughs> Golden grass cannot be wood, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of to fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The crystallite of crush cannot compare with it, with it nor can it be valued in purple. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Is it hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air? Everdone and the death say. We have not heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to the wind its way and apportioned out the waters by measure, when He made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then He saw it and prepared it. He established it and searched it out. And He said to him,
0: truly the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Okay, thank you, Lynn. We can see that this chapter is really structured by by two questions about where, where wisdom might be found. Verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And then really the same question in verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? So, if that's that's the purpose of the of the chapter to tell us where wisdom is found, what were those first eleven verses all about? The the, the mining of precious ore and gems beneath the earth. Why does he talk about that? One thing I'm
2: always struck with when you read this is that we think about human humankind over thousands of years becoming more sophisticated. And we're looking back twenty five hundred years further. Three thousand years. And um, this is way more sophisticated than I am on a normal day.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: yeah. And I'm, I'm humbled
2: by
0: that. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Good point. It's it is and I, again we talked about uh, at, at the beginning the the uh, the Bible project uh, uh, video that we saw called it dense poetry. But it's, it's some it's um, some complex and some beautiful poetry here as well, right? But again, any, any ideas on why he's talking about things beneath the earth? Yes. We're
1: willing to do
3: all of these things mm. and thrill-
0: much effort the okay. All right. we need to be mining for wisdom. Excellent. I like that.
3: I also it's a comparison of the physical tangible nature of what he said, which is Joel uh, Jones is dealing with the physical reality mm-hmm. and then but yet he's um, battling this juxtaposition of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. So the cerebral battle. I okay. I'd say. Yeah. So it's setting up this contrast of like this is what Job is experiencing the physical essentially, and in, yeah. like, the and then we're going to dig into this higher level of thinking and
2: sophistication that right. is far beyond that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And also the things in the beginning that we spend all the energy to find, which are jewels, in the second section is saying they are saying, we can't even buy wisdom with those things we work for. Ah, uh, okay. So the things that we really expend our energy trying to get, they're uh, no good. Yeah,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Yeah.
1: It seems like he's saying, too, that we can pull the copper out of the ground. We can pull, we can pull all these riches out of the
3: earth. But as and we can look for those things, but we can look all we want, and we
0: won't pull wisdom out because that comes from God. We can't get that without. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. I, I I think I, absolutely that's so all right. It's it's saying that just like these precious gems and metals beneath the earth are hidden from the animals and the birds that they can't see them, right? So wisdom is hidden from man. So if it's hidden from man, then where does it come from? So he answers his question in verse 23, where he says, God understands the way to wisdom. And God has revealed it to us in verse 28, right? Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. Only God understands the way. But he's revealed it to us here, truly the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. So he's equating the fear of the Lord with wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. Sort of a parallelism. Truly the fear of the Lord is saying the same thing as departing from evil. Fearing God is departing from evil. That's wisdom or that's understanding. Uh, Does verse 28 there remind you of uh, any other passages? in the Bible
1: a lot of passages from Proverbs a lot of, they're they're from Proverbs absolutely
0: yep. anyone else I thought of, of several from Proverbs the, uh, the first one I thought of was actually from Ecclesiastes the, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes so uh, one of the other three books of wisdom that we have right the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. But yeah, a couple from Proverbs uh, in the beginning, uh, the, f- the first chapter of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, equating fear of the Lord with wisdom, right? And even more clear a little bit later, the ninth chapter of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And also there are several several similar verses in some of the wisdom psalms. I think this one's representative. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Again, coming to the same conclusion that whoever... uh, came up with chapter twenty eight is coming to that we can't find wisdom on our own, but only through God's revelation is can we find uh, can we find wisdom. And wisdom he's revealed to us that wisdom is fearing him, keeping his commandments, following his way in essence, right? Um, Something that
1: just struck me too that a passage that I just love. is after Jesus watched the disciples speak. Um, and he tells them, once you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. reminds me of the second half of this, you know, depart from evil. If you know if you know what's right, just do do what you know. You don't have to know everything. You mm-hmm. just have to mm. do what you know. Match up what you're doing to what you already know is. Yes. So I just love that verse about... Um, if you
0: know these things, you're, you're blessed if you do them. Yeah. Okay, good. Then the, the next uh, three chapters, chapters 29 and 31, as someone's already mentioned, Job continues his discourse, the text said. Uh, so this represents Job's final discourse, and it's, it's book ended, beginning of chapter 29, the end of 31. Job again took up his discourse and said, The words of Job are ended. And we're not going to read all of these chapters, uh, but there's five main parts in in these three chapters. Uh, To begin with, uh, really all of chapter 29, Job waxes nostalgic over his former life when he was blessed with status and respect. Um, Verses 2 through 5 represent this. Oh that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone over my head, and by His light I walked through darkness, when I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was still with me, when my children were around me. So again, another lament over what, how He used to, uh, what His life used to be, be like. And he further laments then in the second part, uh, the first 19 verses of chapter 30, further laments the loss of his position, the public honor and acknowledgement that went with it. Um, verses 16 through 19, and now my soul is poured out within me, days of affliction have taken hold of me, the night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest with violence he seizes my garment he grasps me by the collar of my tunic he has cast me into the mire and i have become like dust and ashes So yeah, lamenting again the current suffering that he's he is undergoing really sounds very similar to the lament uh back from chapter three that that when he first opened his mouth and started talking third part is uh, the next 12 verses or so in chapter 30 Job lays his miserable situation in protest before God. So he's now moving from his circumstances to what he believes at least is cause or what he's questioning as cause I cry to you and you do not answer me. I stand and you merely look at me you have turned cruel to me with the might of your hand you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind, you make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. I know that you will bring me to death, to the house appointed for all living. The longest segment, this fourth part, is the majority of chapter 31. And here Job takes an oath of innocence swearing that he did not commit any offenses. Uh, He says, I was not deceitful. I have not been enticed by another woman. I've not mistreated my slaves. I've not been uncharitable. I have not been ungenerous to the oppressed, the poor, the widows, the orphans. I have not placed my trust in gold or my own wealth. I have not worshipped the sun or the moon like many of my neighbors do. And I have not rejoiced at the ruin of my enemies. By denying any possible charges of misconduct, or at least all that he can think of, that God might hold against him, Job is in essence compelling God to testify and to support any of all any and all charges that he might be making against Job. So Job's purpose all along here was to extract from God the the, the accusations that he assumes are being made against him. He said, "I have not done any of these things, God." So we see that still at, at its <coughs> foundation. Very basically, Job still believes what Eliphaz, Bildad, and far said, right? That I'm suffering because I've done something wrong is the principle, and yet I haven't done anything wrong, or at least nothing I can think of, so why am I suffering? Why, you, why is this happening to me, God? There's sort of a...
2: I was trying to say but that sounds a little naive in the sense that
1: uh, elsewhere scripture would tell us that none of us get out of this life without taking a few bullets. Mm-hmm.
2: And this is kind of painting picture of him having with him the perfect life. Yep. yep. And bullets. Uh, yep. And, you know, that I always kind of lose focus when I get to this part. Of it. Right, right. We,
0: you know, we, we did talk, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, a little bit about. Basically, what LFS built and so far are pro- being proponents of is retribution theology, and we see it in Scripture that uh, if I'm good, then I'm going to be blessed; if I'm evil, I'm going to suffer. We see that taught in Scripture, and yeah, I think that's that's again basically what Job is saying he believes, and it is true, right? We teach our kids this. We teach our kids that there are uh, consequences of our actions. It is fundamentally true, but it's nuanced. There are many, many, many other factors beyond that. And I think that's that's one of the arguments against, against the retribution theology. But the other goes back to what you're saying as well. And, and Jesus said this when... Um, when, I think it was the lawyer came up to him and called him good teacher. And he said, who is good except for my father? And so this goes back to exactly what you're saying. Job can't, can't, can't really claim to be perfectly good, right? There's anyone that's completely good or completely evil. No, we're all somewhere in the middle,
2: right? This doesn't get me to retribution, though. This gets
0: me to grace. To grace, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now that, and, and that's important because, again, none of us are perfectly good, right? Yeah, so we're a reason to celebrate.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're all somewhere in between. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, um, there's a, There's an element of this ship. That's the first words out of Elian's. In 32, It's gonna go, "Well, you're righteous in your own eyes," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't read that. When I read 29
0: through 31. Yeah. In general,
2: Job says, and I haven't done bad to myself. In general, I've been good to you. In general, I've been. It's, it's a more, I don't think he's saying, I'm a perfect man. A perfect I should have been perfect all along. He actually has very beautiful. Right. Words. I haven't, he's kind of saying, if, if retribution theology exists, I haven't done anything to deserve what I'm getting.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: And that's. That's the point that he's trying to speak for us. It's yep. like when we suffer, mm-hmm. are, are we analyzing and saying, are we getting something because we deserve it? Exactly.
0: Or is our answer, I haven't done this bad. Right, right. And that's again why I believe the point here is giving voice to our own deepest thoughts, right? Not only with Eliphaz, building and Zophar, but when we're suffering with Job as well. What did I do to cause this?
2: Yeah. Um, one thing that, that comes to mind, just talking about Jesus, uh, it does come, bring to mind Jesus was blameless and he suffered. Um, and Job, I think, feels separated from God, but he actually is not. You know, God you know, speaks to him later, and it's just what he feels. Yeah. And his feeling is he's separated, but he's really not. He's, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's uh, suffering the consequences of the actions of others. You know, Satan. Right. Um, which is tough for anyone uh, on the earth to deal with who is paying the price for someone
0: else's action, which is what Jesus did as well. And that's true of so much of our suffering, right? Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with something we did. It might. It might have something to do, but it may be the consequences of something someone else has done, and often is. Yeah, darling. Mm -hmm. You were saying, Okay. The fifth part, then, Job reiterates his wish for a fair hearing. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me like a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. You may recall in some of Job's earlier responses, it was like he was trying to put God on trial? Well, here he's saying, put me on trial, God. Come forward with the evidence that would condemn me to this suffering that that I'm experiencing. And like he had done earlier, he he intimates here that he needs a neutral mediator between him and God. Oh, that I had one, this mediator, to, to hear me. Again, he put me on trial, God, because all of these items that I'm listing here, I'm not guilty of. Right. The next section in the book, um, the next six chapters, 32 through 37, now comprise the discourse of a new figure that's introduced to us, a new character. Uh, Elihu. Uh, Elihu is specially introduced with the prose section, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They had not been given that. They just said they started speaking. But Elihu is given this prose section here. Um, So let me read the first five verses, which opens up the speeches of Elihu. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They got tired of arguing with him, right? Then Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, of the family of Ram, became angry. He was angry at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He was angry also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, though they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. But when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouths of these three men, he became angry. So why is he now? He had sat back and shut up. There's no indication that he was even here, even there to start with. But apparently now he was in the background uh, and he remained quiet because these were three older and assumedly wiser men, right? So why does he decide to speak up now?
1: I guess he feels like he needs to defend God.
0: Mm. It,
1: it kind of reminds me, you know, that, that traditional churches of Christ where we tell other people why they're wrong. We have to speak ah. up for God. Ah. All of it, yeah. Yes. They're going to
0: hell because they don't believe what I believe, yeah. and I'm yeah. right. Yeah. 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 That's 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 exactly right. His his anger just overcomes him, and he's angry because. Yeah, they didn't. Verse three, Job just about himself rather than God. He's basically angry because he doesn't believe any of the three, nor Job, have come up with the right answer. So, let me tell you what the right answer is. Um, we don't have time today to really get into the content of Elihu's discourse, so we'll save that for next week. But I did want to introduce us to to this section because I want to circle back to our original question today about where Chapter 28 fits. I mentioned to you there was a fourth possibility. The first, first was just a continuation of Job's response to Bildad Uh, Was it a separate speech of Job on wisdom? Or was it just an interlude on wisdom that the author or one of the authors of the book inserted at this point? Uh, The reason I'm bringing it back up is that one of the commentaries I'm reading suggests this fourth option. That chapter 28 got misplaced at some point in the editing of, of the book. Possibly a piece of parchment got out of order we don't know exactly how the the, uh, the book was was composed, but this commentator suggests that again it's the conclusion of Aliyev's speech that it really belongs after chapter twenty-seven, um, and he gives several arguments um, to 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 warrant his his. What, he, what he's proposing here. Wisdom is conventionally described beyond human reach, in the sky and under the earth. And you remember in chapter 28, he definitely said it was under the earth, right? It was the ore and the precious gems that are under the earth. But he doesn't say anything about the sky. Well, Elihu here in chapter 27 does talk about wisdom being in the sky and beyond. Um, Chapters 28 and 37, they share a lot of vocabulary. Um, and then compare what Elihu says in 37:24. Therefore mortals fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Looks a whole lot like the conclusion that we were talking about at the end of 28, right? Truly the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Um, I I don't know that there's anything conclusive here, but I just thought it was uh, interesting to bring bring this up as a possibility and see again some of the complexity we've got in in the poetry and trying to decide for sure who is saying what. Um, we don't really have time to break off into groups today but let's just uh, let me just ask this question and if any of you have answered have something you want to say uh, in response to this again so much of what we talked about today was the the fear of the Lord that is wisdom departing from evil that is understanding and uh, we saw several passages (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Psalms that uh, equating wisdom with the fear of the Lord. So we didn't really talk about this earlier, but how would you define this fear of the Lord? If the fear of the Lord is wisdom, how would you define it?
2: Taking them real seriously,
0: obedience fits into that. Okay. Yeah, several several of the, the passages we looked at equated it with obeying God, right? So certainly with this, with obedience, with just I
2: can't really define fear of the Lord, but I think one <laughs> of the ways that <clears> has <throat> always I I've tended to not fear the Lord as by as by being uh, careless, and putting words in God's mouth, that mm. he, really he really didn't say through tradition, or however it comes about. Sometimes I think God is out of things there's no yeah. reason to believe what he was.
1: Okay. okay.
0: Yeah, Derek.
4: I think it's often described as respect and awe. Um, I don't think it means being scared of God. That's what it says on his face. Yeah, yeah. But I think about your comment about Job wanting a mediator. Like, he's not seeing God as the judge in this work drama that he would respect the opinions of and the justice of. Right? Yeah. He's right. putting God in the other, in the kind like of party, right? He wants someone else. So, Job is not demonstrating. <laughs> is not respecting God as a just God mm-hmm. um, he is he is criticizing God's justice and
0: trying to appeal to some higher authority. Right, right. That that's the basic question that Job is asking is are you ju- are you a just mm-hmm. God? If so, why is this happening? Yeah. Right. Yeah. been in a right? And
4: our justice system depends on having trustworthy and just judges. I don't know what they all are. Yes. Right. But right. like right. being in that position and having this person in power over you, um, yeah, I I want that justice, right? I want the person in power over me
0: to be wise and just. Yes. Yep, exactly. It gets back to our question of who's perfectly good or perfectly evil, right? We're all somewhere in between. It's a false dichotomy for, for any any uh, mortal judge, right? So, yeah, but we want we want to assume that they're trying their best to be just. Exactly. And I think part of what you said gets gets to it as as well. We when we see fear of the Lord, we want to immediately go to some emotional response, and I don't believe that that is what the, the term is referring to. That we're not. It's not about being afraid, but it's about what you guys have already said, if we look at passages throughout the Old Testament and even in the New, it's not strictly an Old Testament concept, but if we look throughout we'll see this equating it with being in the will of God, having respect and awe for Him, having enough respect and awe for Him that we realize that His ways are higher than our ways right? and that we're wanting to follow Him. We see several passages where it's equated with worshiping God. We would not typically think about fearing God as being worshiping Him, but we see passages where that seems to be what's being to find. So yes, I think that the big thing is to not mm-hmm. think of it as any kind of emotional response, uh, being afraid of God. Uh, yeah. I feel like I have,
3: I did I had a more deeper understanding of the Lord after I became a parent because there's so many analogies. Mm-hmm. Parent, child, God, us. And I feel like, you know, when I was a child, I was, I had respect and awe of my dad. I did not want to displease him. I did, because I knew that there were consequences. So I sort of had a fear of my dad being angry at me or something. And uh, I think that's sort of the same as our relationship with God.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's some
2: element that the fear <coughs> of the Lord is not a verb or anything. it's more of a Attitude apart, so things that happen in life which make you go back, and rethink yeah. the direction you were going. Yeah. And the concept of the idea of fear of the Lord is a is a place where you won't go back and rethink. This is an element. I, I can rethink lots of things, but I'll, I'll I'll land on that one. Right. An attitude that says I'm created, but I'm limited. Yeah. I don't know, but I won't. I won't take the other step. I'm evolved, I'm nothing. Yes. And, and that then sends me down a
0: road where I could go any
2: direction I wanted to. Right. So, an idea that fear of the Lord is a concept of heart, a rock bed. I, I agree. It has many elements to it, but it's...
0: Yep. No, very good. All right. Uh, one last note here. If you need a summer reading suggestion... Uh, I'd, I'd recommend uh, this book that Becky recommended to Paige and me. Uh, and I read it this past week, which is unusual for me to read a book that quickly, uh, with especially having a pretty busy week, which I think says a lot for how good the book is and, and my not being able to put it down. Uh, but Kate Bowler holds a Ph.D. and teaches at Duke Divinity School, specializing in the study and history of the prosperity gospel that we talked about. At age 35, she was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, uh, causing her to rethink and closely examine her research and her beliefs. And this—this this is her memoir. Uh, Everything happens for a reason, and other lies I love, I've loved. Uh, she also has a blog and a podcast, and she's written a number of. New York Times uh, op-eds if you want to look her up or interested in this book. We will probably circle back around toward the end of class and talk about some of the material that's in this book as well. Thank you guys very much and thank you so much for your participation today. That's really what makes a a good interactive class. Thank you.